go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Last week we started a new series called One Choice, One Step. And we're emphasizing throughout this series that each and every one of us is faced with one choice. It's a choice we're faced with over and over again, but it's one choice. And it's the exact same choice for each and every one of us. And what we're doing is looking through key people in Scripture, kind of people we might call the heroes of the faith. And we're saying, what was the choice that they faced? How did they face the exact same choice that we still need to make today on a daily basis? And then we're looking at one step, and that's different for everybody. What's the step then, based on the choice, what is the step that we can take in our life? The choice is whether or not we are going to trust God. Do we, or let's make it personal, do I, do I trust God? It's the same choice that each and every person in Scripture faced over and over again. And we need to ask ourselves, we tend to jump over that and get into what do I want to do for God? What will please Him? What will make things better? What will make me happy? We need to step back and say, do I trust God? Because if we get that choice wrong, the rest of it is going to be wrong as well. So we're looking at these heroes of the faith to see how they were faced with that choice. And then what steps then? And that is different. God's not, as far as I know, calling you to slay a giant. Um, We're going to look at Abraham today. I I don't believe that God is, maybe he is, but he's probably not calling you to just uproot your whole life at this instant and move to some foreign land. Maybe he is. But our choices might be different, but they still come from the same place. How or whether or not do I trust God? Do I actually trust God? So as I said, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham today. And you might be wondering why uh, I had you turn to chapter 11 when the story of Abraham begins in chapter 12. Chapter 11, especially uh, toward the beginning of the chapter, is kind of like a prologue to the account of Abraham. We have here the account of the Tower of Babel. And this sets up what's going to happen with Abraham when God comes to Abraham, makes a promise, and asks him to make a very difficult step of faith in his life. So we want to look at Abraham's life, and I want us to understand where God's plan is in Abraham's life. What is it that is God's plan for Abraham? How does this fit into the same plan that each and every one of us are a part of? And so we're in Genesis chapter 11. Let me read for you uh, the first couple verses here. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Remember that phrase. We may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The account goes on that God sees what they're doing, mixes up their languages so that they can no longer cooperate and work together. The building project is left unfinished and they scatter around the world. Why and how does this set up the account of Abraham? There's a huge theme, actually, throughout Scripture that's being introduced here, and it's the theme of Babel or Babylon. This idea of Babel or Babylon appears over and over in Scripture. It's this worldly system that is set up against God. Here we see it in the account of the tower. 
These people that say, we don't need God. See, there's no mention of God here. No prophet came forward and said, hey, God wants you to bring a, build a tower. Nobody sat down and prayed and said, I really think God wants us to build a tower. They just said, we want to make ourselves great. We're going to take care of ourselves. We got this. Let's build a tower. Now, understand in their culture, the, their idea of of being important, having power was tied into the place of the gods and the goddesses. And the closer they could get to the gods and the goddesses, the more powerful they were. So if they could build a tower higher than anything else, you see a little bit of an inkling here that uh, technology has advanced here. You might look at it and go, technology? Yeah, they're, they're using bricks. This was like, you know, the internet of their day. It was a huge technological advancement. They could build something higher than they ever could before. And they're saying, look at what we've done. We're going to make something amazing so that we will make a name for ourselves. And because their plan had nothing to do with God, In fact, because they were establishing a a culture, a society, a mindset, a philosophy of living completely apart from God, God says, I can't allow you to do that. Now, why? Is it because God is big and mean and vindictive and I'll show you? No, that's not the God we see in Scripture. It's because God knows he has something better for them. God's plan is way better than what they were working on. And if they settled for that and thought that this was the end-all be-all of what it meant to be a human being, then they were missing out on the incredible blessings that God had for them. And that's where we step into God's promise to Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And listen for the similar language. There's a phrase in particular that comes up in God's promise to Abraham. I'm going to, the text says Abram, later on his name will be changed to Abraham. I'll refer to him as Abraham because it's less confusing, but we'll go with the text for now. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There is God's promise to Abraham. This promise will be repeated, expanded, explained a little bit later on in uh, in other chapters, especially in chapter 15, we'll see the promise again. But we see it right here in its core form. What is God promising Abraham says, I'll make you great. Did you catch that? What did the people of the Tower of Babel want? They wanted to be great, important, strong, powerful, self-sufficient. God comes to Abraham and he's not saying, hey, you guys are all wrong. What he's saying is you're going about it all the wrong way. I am your God. I am the one who made you. I am the one who makes you great. Don't settle for something less. God has a plan. He wants to make much of the people that he has created. He wants them to experience the fullness of life for which he created us. And he understands that that only happens in relationship with him. His way. His plan. Not our way and our plan. This plan that God has for Abraham is to move Abraham from where he is into this, for Abraham, a foreign country place where nobody really knows him, a place from away from all of his family ties. 
He says, I want you to kind of go in that direction. Just Abraham, just start walking and I'll tell you when you get there and that's where you're going to settle. Think about what God was asking Abraham to do. The, the incredible amount of faith that Abraham needed in order to trust this promise. A part of this promise is that Abraham had to leave his country, leave his people, leave his father's household. These things in the ancient world were Abraham's identity. They made him who he was according to society, according to worldly ways of thinking. When you grew up in that society, your future was completely determined by the family into which you were born. Your wealth was determined by your family, the land that they owned. Your place, your influence in society was determined by your family. And so when you would introduce yourself and you see this in scripture over and over and over again, you know, uh, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, and, and they always give sort of their, their pedigree of where they come from. And we look at that and they think, oh, just tell me your name's Joe. I mean, I don't really need your whole family history here. But for them, the family history identified them. It was who they were. So when God comes to Abraham and says, leave all of that behind. He is saying to Abraham, I'm asking you to cut ties with everything that has given you identity in this world and you're going to have a new identity. It's going to be the identity I give you. And it's going to be great. And you're going to have land and you're going to have family and you're going to have a people, but they're all going to come from me. and You have to trust me. This is a huge, huge request from God to Abraham for Abraham to trust him. He had to trust God's plan. What is God's plan? That's a big question, isn't it? Let me, let me try to answer it succinctly. God's plan for all things is to be a display of the glory of God. That is the most, or the briefest way, I believe, that you can sum up God's plan for your life, for the fish, for the birds, for the earth, for all of society, for everything. God's plan for everything in every way is to display his glory. Now, maybe we can bring that down to a little more practical terms. An artist paints because they have a desire to paint. And when you look at their painting, you see the skill of an artist. And the greater the skill of that artist, the more you say, wow, this is beautiful. Look at what so-and-so has done. Look at how they made this. Isn't this amazing? Now, does the artist, you know, make a little brushstroke and think, oh, someday somebody's going to be so impressed with that brushstroke. I really hope they notice how I did that one. No, they just paint because they're an artist. That's what they do. God has painted with his will, with his plan, with creation, with his sovereign authority throughout history so that everything that he has created, everything that he made is a display of his glory. This is why sin is so awful. Because in sin, we're taking what should display God's glory and saying, look at me. Look at what I just, I got this. I can figure this out. We looked at Adam and Eve last week. You know, I'll do what I want to do. And God's going, I've got something better for you. Here, Abraham is being confronted with, will you trust God or are you going to keep trusting your own way of doing things? So God's plan for everything is to be a display of his glory. Let's get a little bit more specific. God's plan always involves a relationship between the creator 
and the creation. He didn't just create all things and walk away and go, hey, check that out. That's pretty awesome. I don't really have anything to do with it anymore. I'm busy over here. No, he wants a relationship between himself as the creator and his creation. More specifically, there's an even better relationship, a closer relationship, a more personal, intimate relationship between God and humanity. We are different than anything else in creation. God created us to have a special relationship with him. And we looked at Adam and Eve last week. Sin enters into the world, threatens this plan, threatens this relationship. There are consequences because of humanity walking away from God. But look at what God is doing with Abraham here, because you see the plan again. God is reaching out to Abraham to establish a relationship with him and his offspring. See, God didn't let go of his plan. God didn't throw up his his hands in the air when Adam and Eve walked away and when they sinned and go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? Everything's out of control. He said, I got this. He knew all along. So he reaches out to Abraham to continue the plan, to be a display of his glory, to claim for himself the special group of people in this world, Abraham and his offspring. Later on, we would see those saved by Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, this special display of the glory of God in this world. To have that relationship with us. For Abraham, God's inviting Abraham to be a part of this huge plan. I mean, this is a gigantic plan, and I know each one of us might think, why? How can I help all of creation display the glory of God? What, what is that to me? But it's your life. It's my life. How can I display the glory of God? Then how can we work together to display the glory of God? God, God's glory, rather, is most greatly on display when we live in constant faith of who He is. When we trust His way, His plan, to be accomplished according to his power. And that's exactly what he's calling Abraham to do. Genesis 12, 1, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. He's saying, Abraham, you're going to have to trust me. You must trust me in this step. And so Abraham has to trust God. Abraham's faith becomes a pattern for all faith, for all those that would have a relationship with God. A couple weeks ago, we finished up our studies on Galatians, or our series on Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, 7 through 9, Paul writes, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. He says, you, you want to know who the real children of Abraham are? It's those who trust God. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Well, where did God announce that to Abraham? It's right there in Genesis chapter 12. Paul ties into this and says, this is why Jesus came. You want to know the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham? It's Jesus Christ. The same ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to each and every one of us. So God is inviting Abraham to be Okay, maybe not a small part of this plan, a rather large part of this plan, but to be a part of this plan. And he has to trust God. God has a plan for everyone and everything. God is inviting each and every one of us to say, will we live for his glory, not our own? His plan for his own glory is always what's best for us. 
Abraham, as far as I can tell, didn't have much to go on. In many ways, we are more blessed than Abraham. There's no record of God's dealing with Abraham before this. There's no even acknowledgement that Abraham had any idea who God was. We don't know. This is the first thing that we know. The Lord appears to Abraham and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. It's amazing that Abraham was willing to trust God. I think we could look at Abraham's choice and mistakenly put it in terms of Abraham had to choose whether or not this was a good idea. Abraham had to choose if this would go in the direction he wanted it to go. He had to choose whether or not this would work out for him. He had to choose whether he agreed with God. And we might look at that and say, well, that was his choice. I mean, he was in a very special situation. I'm not in a situation like that. God doesn't call me to do those sorts of things. And so we could say, I'm not faced with that choice, so this doesn't apply to me. I think it's better as we're going to do with each and every person in Scripture, to look at this and say, Abraham had one choice. Would he trust God? That was the choice. Everything that happened out of the, after that, in terms of moving his family, and everything that happened uh, in the situation in the new land that he was moved to, everything happened out of the choice of whether or not he would trust God. Because then I think we can look at that and say, I can't identify with that choice. I should identify with that choice because each and every one of us need to answer that question as well. Do I trust God? If Abraham started with, should I go or not? He might be thinking, do I agree? Does this make sense? And he needs to back up and say, I'm not God. I just need to ask, do I trust him? That's the beginning. One choice. The choice to trust God then leads to actions. Steps, steps of faith. And this is where we need to be careful with the stories from Scripture. Their steps may not look exactly like our steps. They might be different, different circumstances. But let's look at Abraham's steps, and particularly Abraham's imperfect steps. Because Abraham doesn't always do a great job at following God. Twice, let me just sum up some of this. Twice he gets into a situation where he lies about his wife. He lies and says that she's his sister. Now, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on there. It's not a complete lie. It's sort of a half or quarter truth. I know that's weird, but it's there. Genesis chapter 12 later on, and then in Genesis chapter 20. Because in each of these situations, he's in a place where he thinks, okay, God's given me this promise, right? He's going to make me a people and give me offspring and land and all this future and hope. Okay, this is good. But then he's in a situation where it looks like somebody might kill him and take his wife. That's his thinking. And so he's thinking, how does this play out? I mean, i got to figure out how to accomplish God's plan here. So he takes matters into his own hands. He says, well, I'll lie. I'll lie and say that she's just my sister so that they will leave me alone. This doesn't go great for him, and yet God still uses it as a part of his plan and continues to bless Abraham. But I think the key thing here that you see in Abraham's life is that Abraham has a tendency to try to accomplish God's plan in his own way. 
And we might look at that and say, well, that's faith, that's good. Yeah, but it's not trusting God to work out his own plan according to God's way. That's what faith is. I trust God to work out his own plan. Later in Genesis chapter 16, a big part of the plan of God is that Abraham's going to have offspring. He's he's going to have children. There'll be these future generations. And yet Abraham's way too old. Sarah's way too old. They can't have children. And Abraham's going, this is all going to fall apart. The promise is going to fall apart. We need to figure this out. And so, again, using a culturally acceptable way, Abraham has a child through a servant. The idea was that could be adopted then by Abraham and Sarah as their their heir, the one that would carry on this promise of God. I grew up being taught in church that this was a huge step of disobedience and lack of faith for Abraham. I, I really do think he did this with good intentions. I think a lot of what Abraham did was with good intentions but it still wasn't truly trusting God. See, we can have good intentions for God and yet lack faith and not actually be trusting in God. And so, God says no. Ishmael, the son that is born, would not be the one to carry on the promise. But God gave Abraham this new son, Isaac, And this child of the promise is born. This amazing confirmation that God is God and Abraham is not. And God is all powerful and he can bring life from a dead womb. And Abraham is there and he has Isaac and Isaac is growing up. And it's wonderful. God's plan is being carried out. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. I don't think it is possible to overstate how devastating those words must have been to Abraham. I just imagine in his mind, he's thinking, God, I gave gave up everything. I gave up everything to follow you, and this is where you're going to take me? I've trusted you. You've taught me that I need to trust you. You're going to fulfill your plan. And I imagine, and maybe this is because I put myself into Abraham a little bit, and I think, how would it affect me? But I imagine the gears are turning in his brain. Okay, how how can I make this happen? How can I figure out, okay, I got this plan, I I get it, it's God's plan, but I'm going to figure it out. He starts going through opportunities and options. Nope, that won't work. Nope, that won't work. That won't work. And I think he gets to the point of going, I got nothing left. I can't do this. I can't carry out God's plan. I can't accomplish it. I don't know how to figure this one out. You ever faced a situation in your life where you say, I can't figure this out? I think too often we wait until we've tried to figure it out. And that's Abraham's problem over and over again. He keeps trying to figure it out and God keeps saying, no, no, you need to trust me. And now God puts him in a situation that Abraham has no answer for whatsoever. 
It's interesting because the language here in chapter 22 is so similar to when God first came to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son. This is in the Hebrew. It's very clearly broken up like this. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, the son you love. And the language is so similar to chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, when God said, leave your country, your people, your father's household. It's like bookends on the story of Abraham here. God's clearly saying to him again, Abraham, you need to trust me. You said you trusted me. You made a choice to step out in faith and trust me. You need to trust me. And Abraham did. He takes his son. He's probably a teenager by this point. Loads up an animal with firewood. Starts up the mountain. There's a couple little inklings in here of what was going through Abraham's mind. In chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham turns to the servants and he says, uh, verse 5, he said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. He didn't say we will worship and then I will come back to you. He says we will worship and then we will come back to you. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I think it says something about what's going through Abraham's faith or mind here and his idea of faith. Somehow, some way, God had made a promise that Isaac would be his offspring and that God was going to bless the world through Isaac. God then was asking Abraham to kill his son, sacrifice him. Abraham had no way of putting these two things together. They made no sense whatsoever. But I think in that one little word, we, we will come back to you. Abraham was saying, I don't know how, but that's God's job. But I know that God will be faithful to his promise. Hebrew chapter, or Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19 in the New Testament gives a bit more background here. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see, God stopped Abraham. Abraham didn't kill his son. He was ready to obey God. He was ready to do whatever it took to trust in who God is and trust that God would carry out God's plan in God's way. Abraham was ready. And God said, okay, Abraham, now I know. Now I know that you trust me. Abraham did, in fact, receive Isaac back because God stopped the sacrifice. In that moment, he was declaring two key things, one specifically to Abraham. Abraham, my plans will be carried out my way. You have to trust me. Quit trying to figure it out on your own. The other thing I think he was making clear to all of society is, I don't work like those other people. You guys aren't to kill your kids. That's not me. That's not how I work. It wasn't Abraham's job to figure out how God's plan would be accomplished. And frankly, it's not our job either. 
I like to strategize. I like to kind of figure out if we do this and then go here, this will work out. If I talk to this person and plant this seed in their ear, maybe point out this verse, then maybe Christ will work in this way and it'll go here and it'll be great. Everybody will get saved and go to heaven. It'll be awesome. But see, I'm not God. I don't have that kind of power. And it's foolish of me to think that I can. What I've learned in ministry and what I hope to live out in my personal life is to start with one choice. Do I trust God? And then to simply step out. I don't know where that step is going to lead in the future, but God's calling me to do this, to be faithful right here. I don't have to figure out the rest. That's not my job. That's God's job. So what's our choice? What's our step? I want you to pay attention to what we learn from God's relationship with Abraham. Because if the choice is to trust God, these stories show us the God that we are to trust in. So what do we learn about God from this encounter with Abraham? We learn that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Anybody can make promises. I promise my kids all the time, hey, if you, you know, go out and run these errands with me, we'll go off for ice cream afterwards. Doesn't mean we're going to do it. I mean, it just, it's a way to get them quiet. No, I might. <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. I, uh, <clears throat> I might actually intend to take them for ice cream. I, I might have a plan that that will happen, but then maybe something, the errands go a little bit longer. We have an appointment as a family. We've got to get somewhere. Something has changed. I'm not in control of all things. And so I make that promise something might change. But see, when you get to God, that doesn't apply because God knows the end from the beginning. When God makes a promise, he is fully capable of carrying out that promise. So when he states the promise, it is just as secure as the moment we see it fulfilled. He is a promise maker and a promise keeper. So when we say we have one choice, are we going to trust God? We need to look at the story of Abraham and so many like that in scripture and say, God keeps his promises. I am choosing to trust in a God whose promises are absolutely secure. I want to point you to just two promises. One should be pretty familiar with to you, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that, here's the promise, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise. We're so tempted to look at that and say, well, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, how does that work here? We just need to stop and say, do I trust God? He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Do I trust him when he says, believe me and you'll be saved? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul writes that as a promise to the Philippian church. It's not actually a promise to individuals. I think there's some application there. But it's a promise to the church. Hey guys, God started something in you. And this is where there's overlap with promises to individuals because the started something, the the whole reason there is a church is that God saved people through Jesus Christ and he's called them together to be a church. But now he's saying, yeah, you're struggling. You're living in a culture that looks like it's turning against you and they're not supporting what you believe. But I started this and I'll finish it. 
See, we have a promise-making, promise-keeping God. I think we all struggle with imperfect steps of faith. And we see in the account of Abraham, God had great patience with Abraham. He has great patience with us as well. We're going to struggle, but we need to keep coming back to that key question. Do I trust God? Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to lay out every step of where everything might lead. Planning is good. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying be foolish. But at some point, we need to step back and say, I am not God. He is. And he's way better at it than I am. God has a plan. And he is able to carry out that plan. We need to trust him. And then we need to look at areas of our life and say, where is God calling me to step out and trust? What what is he asking me to trust him in? What's that step in my life? Maybe today it's giving your life to Jesus Christ. That's an act. That's a step of trust. I trust God, therefore I will receive his son as my savior. Man, that's a powerful moment in your life. Maybe it's, I want to know God better. The more you study these things in Scripture, the better your trust in God can be because the better you can know who God actually is. So many people say, well, I trust God. I've got this all figured out. It all works out in my head. I can argue for the existence of God. And then something happens and somebody has a better argument. They go, well, I can't can't argue with that. I guess I was wrong. Don't just get to know the ideas about God. Get to know who He is. Dig into God's word. Gather with other believers and go deep in the scriptures to get to know who God is. He has made so many amazing promises to you and to me. And when that question comes up, will I trust God? The more you know about him, the easier it is to answer that question. Yes. Because I've seen how he's worked in other people's lives. I've seen how he's worked in my past and I trust him. For the future. We need to trust him and step out in that trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Abraham's really not all that different than us. Oh, the journey that you have for each one of us may be different, might look different than Abraham. Maybe it's not moving to a completely foreign place, but maybe it is. Maybe you are asking us to give us up something that's important to us, but maybe you're not. But in the end, the heart and soul, the, the foundation of what's going on is the same. Like Abraham, we need to trust you. Like Abraham, we then need to step out in that trust. So Father, I pray today as we have very briefly very quickly looked at the life of Abraham, may we not ask how we can be more like Abraham. But could we look at it and say, you're the same God. You were the same yesterday, today, and forever. You were faithful to Abraham. You are faithful to us. May we trust you and step out in faith wherever you may lead. In your name we pray. Amen.